Good morning. I am Kim Lee. I'm the kids pastor here at Gaten. And as you can tell, um, we had a week, um, one that we didn't think that we would get to have. Um, and after we have come back from camp, we have been saying, won't he do it? And he did in a mighty, mighty way. This is my favorite Sunday of the year, mainly because we are coming off of kids camp and deep diving into who God is and how he impacts our lives. This year looked very different. Many things were uncertain. Schedules had to be altered. Precautions had to be put into place more so this year than in previous years. This is our 10th camp experience and something I honestly could have done in my sleep, but not this year. We were in a different camp location, a camp founded by our very own Catherine Bullard. We spent many hours outside in the month of July, as our kids will tell you, hiking up and down a very steep mountain. I had to limit the number of campers that we could take this year. It was a lot. We had to reevaluate the win. And while the win always looks like discipling kids and having fun, this year it also included a number of safety measures that could and would lead to deep discipleship, relationships, and trust. And the stories that have come from this year make it all worth it. Students who have been discipled and now showing up to disciple our young people. Students making decisions for Christ, kids devouring scripture. What we do for kids is life changing, and this week was no different. We have all experienced a lot in the past five months, yet one thing has remained constant, and that is we serve a faithful God a God who sees and knows and cares and loves. A God who comes in with the win. A God who is undefeated. A truth I have had to be reminded of as our world has been turned upside down by a global pandemic and a battle for justice. And as we learned this week at camp, when we are in this type of relationship with a winning God, we are undefeated because God's team never loses. And I've had to remind myself of that over and over again in this season, a season that has been full of loss. I've watched one family member experience cancer treatments while her daughter gave birth to her first grandchild. Another family member passed away while navigating COVID restrictions in the nursing home. I have watched seniors miss out on graduations and proms. I've experienced my own personal losses in this season. The loss of a preschool milestone, the loss of in-person vacation Bible school, the loss of a mission trip with students I have grown to know and love, the loss of gathering together in person with my church family to worship. The list goes on. We have all experienced some sort of loss in this season, and sometimes we may wonder, are we winning? Where is this undefeated God you speak of. I honestly have struggled to narrow in on where I wanted to go today because here's the thing. When I reflect over the scriptures, we are loved 
by a winning God. God wins every time. And as a Jesus follower, that is what faith has called me to. In a time of uncertainty, in a time of hard, in a time of loss. In June, Kids Ministry looked at Hebrews 11.1, and it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The season has called us to put our faith into action. Faith we define in Kids Ministry as trusting in what you can't see because of what you can see. To live out the belief that God is who he says he is, that he is sovereign in the hard and the uncomfortable and the challenging, and he is sovereign in the good and the easy. So to think about a passage, I want to dig deep into the choices are endless. In every way, God wins. I recently read a quote by John Piper, author of Desiring God, and he said, God loves to be at a disadvantage just before he wins. And it's true. I don't know many teams that would echo that for a team to be down by five points with one minute of play to go or to have the ball with 10 seconds and one goal to make the win. It sure creates excitement, but probably not the desired setup. However, we find this to be true time and time again for our God. He is up to the challenge. I think of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was certainly at a disadvantage being surrounded by hungry lions and all. David and Goliath, certainly no one could have predicted that little boy David could take down a giant with a slingshot. Gideon going into battle with only 300 men. Joseph in prison just before he rules Egypt. And we can't forget Jesus hater Saul turned Paul going on to become the most famous missionary in the name of Jesus. And then we have Jesus defying death on a cross. The list goes on and on. God wins every time. And he comes in at a disadvantage in each of these situations and still wins. God is undefeated. How about that for a coach and a leader. That is a team that I want to be a part of. This week at camp, our theme was undefeated, trusting in a God who wins. We looked at Jonah and how truth wins. Truth, Jonah knew who God was. Truth, Jonah knew God and God knew Jonah and he chose Jonah for the task of bringing the Ninevites to their knees. And Jonah knew that God was full of mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with a love that wouldn't fail. There is so much truth in the story of Jonah, and it brought freedom and mercy and win to the disadvantaged people of Nineveh. For a group of people that Jesus saw and deemed worthy of salvation, a lesson for us all. And then we looked at Peter walking on water and how faith wins. He kept his eyes locked in on Jesus, but the minute he wavered, he began to sink. Keeping our eyes on Jesus brings the win. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and he is writing our story. 
He knows the outcome. He is capable of rescuing us from the depths. He knows the end. He is the end. And then we looked at love and how love wins every time. Remember the cross. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die. And we would imagine that that was the end of the story. And it looked like the game was over for three days. But not for a winning God. God defeated the cross. He defeated death. And he wins every time. And because of Christ's love for us, we can go undefeated. It won't always be easy or even pretty. We will struggle. We will fall down. But at the end of the day, we can know that we are loved by an undefeated God. And he is working for good, as he promises in Romans 8, 28. And he is for us, as he promises in Romans 8, 31. He is working for us and he is working for good. That is a team I want to be a part of. I love the idea of a team. I believe that we are better together. When two or more are gathered in his name, he is there. I grew up playing team sports. You won together and you lost together. If a goal in soccer was made on the goalie, it had to get through 10 teammates to get there. You were part of a team. Softball was my love growing up, and I pitched early on. My job, let them hit the ball. Although it took me a few good years to realize that was actually my job. Why was that my job? Because I had eight players backing me up on the field. You won together, you lost together. I've parented kids on teams, and my experience as a swim team parent will always win out. Maybe because I never did swim team, but I learn so much in this experience. On the swim team, you are out for both an individual win and a team win. You need each other to be better. I think of sitting in endless weeks of quarantine. I think we all realized how desperate we were for human contact. We were made to be in community. Remember that first hug you received after quarantining? Maybe you are still social distancing and haven't got that first hug from someone outside of the four walls of your house yet. Or you met up for dinner with friends. It is pretty magical. We need each other. And since we are better together, I'm going to land this morning on a team, a small team, but a team that needed each other to be better. I'm going to pick up where Jeff took us last week, Moses. He needed his team to succeed. But first, let's turn our attention to a three-year-old depicting the story of Moses. What did the Bible say about Moses? And what did he say? He said, let my people go, Moses. And God made him do, and God made him say, yes, Moses. Very cool, huh? Thank you. 
That was my daughter about five years ago, and this was her first year to join us at kids camp. And this wasn't intended to be a plug for kids ministry, but I want you to grasp how important it is what we are doing this past week, what we do in the lives of preschoolers, what we do in the lives of our students. They are connecting with a God who loves them. They are digging deep into the word of God, and they are going on to be world changers around us. God used Moses in many ways, but for real, let's recap, or if you are new to the story of Moses, let me give you my Cliff Notes version. God spared Moses' life when he was born. Moses, being born a boy, was supposed to be killed, as was the law at the time. The king of Egypt was threatened by Hebrew boys and wanted them killed at birth. But Moses' mom put him in a basket, prayed for him, and sent him down the Nile River in hopes that his life would be spared. And it was. And he went on to do great things in the name of the Lord, but it was a challenge at times. Let's pick up in Exodus chapter 4. We are about to pick up right after God called Moses from the burning bush. Moses went to investigate this bush that was on fire but was not burning up. And then Moses heard his name being called. God was calling him. Sometimes I wish that God would use a bush to call my name or even my cell phone because right now I could really use a burning bush moment. Moses heard God and recognized the calling of God. So from the bush, God said, Moses, I have a job for you. How many times have you received a job from the Lord? Here's the thing. I think God gives us a calling, a task, a job, a team to fight for on the regular. It may be a lifetime calling or we may get several callings in a lifetime. It may change week to week or month to month, but sometimes I think we may miss it. Maybe it's because we aren't looking or we don't want that job or we don't want to work that hard or we may be uncomfortable or scared. We may not be listening, and we may even choose not to obey. And it was pretty similar response from Moses. God said, here's your job. You are going to go and free your people, the Israelites. Quick reminder, Moses was born an Israelite and raised an Egyptian under the Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses was back and forth with God, kind of a little argumentative. Like, God, I didn't raise my hand for this. I didn't volunteer for this job. The bush is a nice touch and all, but not me. No, thank you, God. You've got the wrong person. We already see Moses starting to squirm. He was not up for this battle. This was not a fight he wanted to engage in. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Immediately I think of Noah, a one-man team. People laughing at him, calling him crazy for building an ark with no rain in sight. Verse 2, then the Lord said to him, Moses, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Here I see God beginning to highlight the equipment Moses would need for battle. 
Verse 3, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. This would probably be the point where I would start arguing with God when he asked me to pick up a snake. No, thank you. That's it for me, God. I'm out. Verse 5, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Just an aside here, when you go to battle in the name of the Lord, he will give you what you need. Verse 6, then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, his skin was leprous. It was white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored just like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile River and pour it on dry ground. When the water you take from the river, it will become like blood on the ground. We see here the Lord is responding to Moses, his fears, his anxieties, and he is meeting his needs. Moses needs proof. He needs to know he's not in it alone. And the Lord is saying, I, the undefeated God, am on your team. I will give you what you need. Now to note, we know how history plays out because we have the Bible. Moses, however, did not. And the faith required of Moses was great. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak, and he is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if... He were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hands so that you can perform the signs with it. Starting in verse 10, Moses starts naming his faults. He says, I'm not a very good speaker. Are you sure you want to use me, God? My brother, he can speak a lot better than me. What if they don't believe me? There's the fear, the doubt. I'll go on the mission trip to have fun or to get some community service hours, but don't dare challenge me to more. I'll post, post a Blackout Tuesday post, but don't ask me to do anything else. I'll sit next to the new kid because my teacher asked me to, but I won't talk to him. Moses wants out. He doesn't want to be uncomfortable. He is scared. 
God says, buddy, friend, beloved, I will help you. And Moses, he was back at it. Finally saying, Lord, send someone else because I am not the man for the mission. God got a little ticked off here. Verse 14 says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, okay, clearly you need some more help here because I guess me being God and all wasn't going to cut it. God says, Moses, you have your brother Aaron. I will build you a team. I am equipping you to win. But you, you have to go. You have to be willing. You have to take a first step or a next step. You have got to give God your yes. So together these two go and they take on Pharaoh trying to free their people. Pharaoh is stubborn and needs 10 plagues, but eventually complies. But here's the thing between chapters three and four, Moses says three times, I can't do it. How many of us have said, I can't do it, or I don't want to do it, or can I even do it? And three times with Moses, he said, I got this. I got you. I am with you. And he was. God used Moses to bring freedom to the Israelites. God remained undefeated. Let's turn our attention to another battle that Moses was called to. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 17 in Exodus. We are about to be introduced to Joshua. Joshua, we will see, enters the scene and is spoken about like we should already know who he is. But this is the first time that he is mentioned. If you recall, or maybe this is new to you, Joshua will go on to lead the Israelites after Moses. Let's start in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rehephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men, then go out and fight against the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill. I'll stand there holding the walking stick God gave me. If you read further about the Amalekites, God demonstrates through his word and in action that he has some ongoing hostility toward the Amalekites. We may wonder why this is, but in this particular case, the Amalekites attack Israel and weakness. And wouldn't that give any team an advantage to strike during weakness? But yet here again, we will see that God will win in a disadvantaged situation. Verse 10. So Joshua fought against the Amalekites just as Moses had ordered. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill, and as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But every time he lowered his hands, the Amalekites began to win. You know, I wonder how long did this go on before these three men figured out what was actually happening. This would require great attention to detail, problem solving, and some deductive reasoning. Remember a ways back, Moses did not have very much confidence. I wonder how long it took him to gain confidence that God was out for the win. Regardless of Moses' circumstances, regardless of his abilities, how many of us think we are in battle alone? How many of us forget that we have a God fighting for us and a God desiring the win he has for our lives? 
Verse 12, when Moses' arms got tired, Aaron and Hur put a stone under him. And then he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, Aaron on one side and Hur on the other. Moses' hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua destroyed the Amalekite army with swords. How many of us become tired of doing what we are called to do? Maybe it's in the workplace or at school. Maybe it's standing for injustice. Maybe it's praying for a friend or a family member. Maybe it's even in the church or for the church. No matter the situation, we all tire. We all grow weary. We all need an Aaron and a her, a team that goes with us. Verse 12, Moses needed help. Those times when we feel like, are we enough? Can we do this? Can we fight a battle that feels hopeless? Can we love God when our friends tell us to do something that isn't right? Can we stand up for the kid who is being bullied? Can I do it? Can I fight for what's right? Here, God was still using Moses, and Moses still had the power, but he needed a team. Each year, I show a movie at camp, and then I relate it to what God is teaching us. This year, our movie was Little Giants. Quite the name for a movie. It sounds like a disadvantaged team, but God can still win. Let's take a peek. Look, Mr. O'Shea, I have an aversion to pain and suffering. Newbie, I'm not even talking about setting foot on the field. I need somebody to help me coach, you know, to come up with some plays. What kind of plays? Creative plays. Anything goes? Use your imagination. Play football? No. Great, you can be on our team. Yes, that's right. Flight 45. Uh huh. Yeah. I'll see. I'll see you Tuesday, sir. Yeah, the flight is in a nine. Don't worry. was the forming of an unlikely team, a team that looks to be disadvantaged. And well, they were. This here is an unlikely bunch, but they found their place. Something about being part of a team can change things. 
It gives us belonging. It gives us community. You become a part of something bigger than yourself. As a Jesus follower, his word promises that we are gifted in his name. We all bring something to the table. We are better together, church. As we are coming back from camp, as we are gathering in the building again, as we think about the return to school or the workplace, things are going to be different. We should be different. Look around the room. These are your errands and your hers. The church is an unlikely team. We are flawed, but God wins in the weakness. Your errands, your hers, your church, our church. I hope these are the people that will hold up our arms in battle. Some of my friends are heading off to middle school. That's a new battlefield. Some of my friends are heading off to high school and college. New battlefields await. Some of you have lost your jobs and will be re-entering the workforce in a new way. Some of you travel every week for work and have found that may no longer be necessary. We are called to stand for injustice. Some of us have a heart beating for this community and our neighborhoods to link arms together and say, I've got you. You need your people. You need those that will point you to Jesus, who will be Jesus when we are tired and weary. We need each other. Those who will come alongside of us and say, I've got you. That is the calling of the church. And it's tough. The world tells us to do one thing, and Jesus says, do it a different way. But we have to choose our errands and our hers wisely, because some of our friends aren't going to hold up our arms. Some of our friends aren't going to point us to Jesus. Some are even going to strike in a moment of weakness like the Amalekites. We have a responsibility to hold each other up. Jesus says you don't have to be an eloquent speaker. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to have it all figured out. I will give you what you need. Just like Moses and Elijah and David and Paul and Noah and Jesus on the cross, God can and will use you to love others, to be Jesus in a broken world. God is undefeated and he will win. And he calls us to his team. And when we fall short, God shows up with the rest, with the strength, with the endurance, with the hope, with the patience, the peace, the kindness, the grace, the people, with whatever it is we need. Jesus takes us as we are. The defeated parts of us, the broken, the ugly, the sin. He looks at our hearts and he knows what we are made of. And he says, I will meet you right where you are. I will lead the team that wins. But you and me, we've got to be willing 
We have to believe in one another. We have to be willing to get out of the boat like Peter did. We have to be willing to come alongside each other like Aaron and her. So my question this morning is, where are you in this journey? We are going to close with a time of prayer together. Some of my middle school friends are needing to find the errands and the hers of next year. Some of you need to be the errands of next year. Some of my adult friends, you know you need the errands and the hers, but you have no idea who they are. Some of you are wanting God to show up in a mighty way and move in your life and in this place. And some of us are trying to figure out who God is and what he looks like if I invite him to be a part of my life. But each of these says, God, I am willing. So let's go right now to the Lord and have a conversation about what that looks like on your journey with an undefeated God. God, we come before you now, broken, some of us feeling pretty defeated. God, but your word promises that you are working. God, and we can see time and time again that you will win. And I pray that we just open ourselves up to who you are to what you have done for us and in us. God, I pray that you help our unbelief, that you are a God who will remain undefeated no matter what our community, our country, and our world faces, that we can stand up and say, God will win. God, lead us, guide us, and take us on a journey that aligns with who you are and what you want from us. We love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. In the undefeated God we serve. Amen.